0: Father, we are bold enough to ask that during this time of study and reflection in your word, you would come and bring life change now, that you would come and show us the power of your gospel in a way that quietens our anxious hearts and enables us to say that it is indeed well with our souls. Lord, do this, we pray, to your own honor and to your own glory. Amen. Please, you see it. So every single person in this room has to deal with anxiety, with anxiety, with worry, stress, nervousness, fear, uh, fretting about the future. Even saying these words makes anxiety ripple up within uh, some of us. A couple of statistics for you. Uh, First of all, that anxiety disorders are now the, the most common mental health illness in the U.S., Some 40 million adults, that's uh, nearly 20% of the adult population, are affected. Anxiety disorders cost the U.S. more than $42 billion every year. And in case any of us are tempted to pride and think this is not something that I struggle with, let me read you this quote uh, from a a prominent Christian psychologist. He says, anxiety is not a disorder that afflicts the weak the fragile, and the delicate. Often there is not the slightest hint of previous anxiety. This is the disorder of presidents, CEOs, VPs, ladder climbers, powerhouses, dynamos, live wires, and go-getters. Those in leadership positions are more likely to be candidates for panic anxiety. The reason? Anxiety is a disease of stress. And as such, anxiety is a disease of D.C., dare I say. Such an important topic, we're going to spend two weeks looking at this theme. Uh, This week we're going to ask three questions. First of all, what is anxiety? Secondly, what is peace? And thirdly, why should we have it? Have peace, not anxiety. What is anxiety? What is peace? Why should we have peace? Then next week we're going to dive deeper into this text to look at half a dozen or so principles that help us in our pursuit of peace. So uh, let's start this week uh, setting the table uh, for all that will come. First of all then, let's ask, what is anxiety? What does it mean to be anxious? Let's dive in and look at the text together in verse 6, where we read, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, uh, the Bible, the New Testament, was written in Greek, and the Greek word for anxious is very interesting here, because uh, literally what this word means is to be divided into parts. To go to pieces because you're being pulled in different directions. And isn't that what anxiety feels like? Like you are being pulled apart. Like you are going to pieces as you reflect upon all the different directions that you somehow need to manage. Such an appropriate term for us today because so many of us are pulled in far too many different directions. It's a debatable point, but we could well argue that the stress of every culture has been magnified in our culture today. Let me give three reasons why this might be the case. First of all, just the professional environment that we have. We live in a day and an age and in a country and in a city where we have horrendous commutes. D.C., second longest commute in the nation. And not just this, but we also invest a huge amount of our uh, identity in our vocation. Our culture is not a culture that finds worth and meaning and intelligibility as much in, in family as previous generations did, but more so in vocational achievements and success in doing a good job. This is why the second question you ask is, well, one, what is your name? Two, what is it that you do? Uh, we are a, a culture that, that idolizes work. Thirdly, it's a professional environment that's increasingly insecure. So we're working longer and longer hours, sometimes for less and less pay, but always for less security than in previous times. Secondly, our culture is particularly prone to stress, not just because of the professional environment, but because of uh, technological advances. Now, these are are great things, of course, but they come with a downside. Uh, First of all, you know, it just increases the amount of time that we're able to work. We can work from anywhere, which means we work from everywhere. How often is it that you find yourself checking your email uh, right before you go to bed or first thing in the morning? Why do we do that? If it's an emergency, no one emails you, okay? They'll call you if it's really something you need to know now, but there's this sense of uh, sort of a peace that comes with knowing there's nothing in the inbox you haven't checked on already. At the same time as it increases the amount we work, uh, technology decreases the amount of, of true rest that we get. Times when we could be giving our minds some some free space is now filled with technology. I read a stat this week that the average American in their lifetime will watch nine years of television, nine years of TV. Now, TV is great. You should watch some TV, but nine years? Come on, we have surely better things to do with our lives. And yet, so often at the end of a long, tiring day, we find ourselves vegging, not really recovering in front of the TV professional environment, technological advances. And then lastly, uh, what I would call in our day uh, the tyranny of opportunity. The tyranny of opportunity. Let me illustrate this with what we do to our poor children. First of all, the strong emphasis upon academics, which of course is a good thing. But now we have classes for advanced students and we have makeup classes for students who aren't doing so well, and along with our academics, we expect them to play an instrument, and we expect them to do performances and recitals. And we also expect them to learn a language because that's good for you and your development and it broadens your horizons. And we also expect you to play a sport, local or travel, depending on you know how it goes. And we also expect you to be involved in some sort of educational group like, you know, the Scouts or Iwanas or something. And by the way, we also want you to come to church and be involved in everything that goes on here. Where's the space to go climb a tree? You know, we put undue and incredible stress and expectation upon our children and upon ourselves in this culture. The tyranny of opportunity. We can do anything, and so we make ourselves do everything. Do you see, parents, we need to wrestle with this. We really need to wrestle with this. Uh, and be a, a counterculture within the church uh, that can fosters a balance for our children. The point for the time being, though, is that uh, modern life, uh, contemporary culture, is stretching us beyond our limits. And many of us, all of us, in one way or another, are paying the price for this in uh, the painful and hard currency of stress and anxiety. I wonder if I asked you to raise your hand if you are anxious about your job and then asked others to raise their hands who are anxious about money or stressed about security or fretting about their health or nervous about their family or, you know, weighed down uh, by uh, the future. It would not be long until all of us had our hands in the air. All of us are anxious about something. Some of us, myself included, have even had seasons of diagnosable anxiety. Let me see if any of these ring true for you. Uh, the physical symptoms of fatigue or tightness in your chest or sleeplessness or outright panic attacks. The intellectual symptoms of uh, thinking that you've just got to get out of a particular situation or worrying that you're going crazy or that sense of fragmentation. You know when your mind is thinking about everything and focusing on nothing? That, that busy sense that overwhelms. The emotional symptoms of being fearful, lonely, out of control. That dread that washes over you that something bad is about to happen. Vague and undefined perhaps, but something bad is going to happen. Those relational symptoms of being irritable, being angry, being withdrawn, wanting to stay at home instead of seeing people. Whatever level it is that you and I struggle with, I want to suggest this morning that at the root of this surface brokenness is a deep spiritual brokenness. At the root of this surface brokenness is a deep spiritual brokenness. Let me explain what I mean. There are perhaps, say, three factors that contribute to our anxiety levels. The first of all is just physical, some of us are hardwired to be more stressed out than others. And some of us are hardwired to be more laid back than others. And you know people uh, who are both. You know people who every time you see them, there's drama about something. Every time you see them, they're uptight about something. Every time you see them, they're worried about something. And you kind of think that they wouldn't be happy if they weren't, right? Um, You also know those people who are just so laid back, it's crazy. You can tell them anything, and they just sort of, you know, are cool with it. Uh, You tell them the house burning down and, you know, they stop to get a cup of tea first, right? They just are just hardwired to be at peace. And this physical uh, component is a big factor. Secondly, of course, there's a circumstantial component. There are seasons in our lives, and we want to do justice to this, that are just more stressful than other seasons. So moving house is stressful. Getting married is stressful. Having children is stressful. Being in debt is stressful. Uh, losing a loved one is stressful. Having a serious illness yourself. These are stressful, like, circumstantial things that contribute to our stress. But thirdly, and most importantly, is the spiritual dimension. The spiritual dimension. Why is this so important? It's so important because anxiety in many ways is it's a, it's, it's a disease of the future. What do I mean by that? I mean anxiety by its very nature. We become anxious as we look forward to events that are important but uncertain. As we look forward to events that we want to work out or pan out in a certain way, but have no confidence or guarantee that they will. Let me give you a silly example. If I go into Chipotle with $20 in my pocket, I am not in any way anxious that I can pay for lunch. I will get guacamole right? Um, if I go into Chipotle with $20 and I'm buying lunch for two, I'm a little more nervous and I maybe don't get guacamole. If I've got $20 in my pocket and my mortgage company gives me the final warning that, you know, my mortgage is overdue, I know $20 to my name, I freak out. Why? Because of what this means for me and my future. What are the results of this going to be for me? In each instance, the the, the future is unknown and there's uncertainty over what will happen to us, and so we become anxious. More serious examples: will I lose my job? Will this relationship make it? Will um, I let everyone down? Will I be able to pay off this debt? Will I and have I failed my children? Quick sidebar here, I need to tell you my, my latest parenting snafu. Um, so four kids, youngest, Isla, five years old, just adorable. Um, in the basement calls and apparently we have a baby mouse sitting in the middle of our basement floor. Okay. Now, everyone freaks out, apart from Isla, who thinks it's the cutest thing she's ever seen in her life. Okay? So I go down, kind of like, oh, I'm a city kid, so this is not good for me, right? And there is, there's this mouse, there's this poor baby mouse, it's tiny, it's about that big, and it's clearly dying, it's clearly, it's just like in pain and in a bad shape. So I scoop it up on a bit of card, and my five-year-old, who thinks this mouse is the cutest thing she's ever said, says, what are you going to do with it, Dad? And I say, I'm going to set it free. <laughs> So, on this march of freedom, I go up the stairs, into our backyard, and on the way, this thing, this wee thing, just looks so mournful, it just looks in such pain, so I fold the card up on the ground, and then, okay, it was merciful, okay, don't, don't send me emails, all right, <laughs> And then I kind of lift the car back up, like, you know, and I go over and I throw this wee mouse in the trails at the back of our house. And then I turn around and I'll have a five year old at the window like this. <laughs> and there's this big tear rolling down her face. Now I have scarred her for life. <laughs> so will you fail as a parent? Yes. Just accept it and move on, all right? Parenting is a. Uh, You know, one mistake to another and the Lord uh, blesses you with his grace. For whatever reason, though, all of us have these concerns, these deeper anxieties, uh, these uh, fears about the future. And the reason that these anxieties are, are a spiritual problem is this. We ought to be able to trust our unknown future to the known God. But we don't. We ought to be able to trust the uncertainty of our futures to the Lord with whom all things are certain, but we don't. We ought to be able to rest in his sovereign grace, but we don't. And it's a spiritual problem because ever since Eden, we have doubted, ever since the fall, ever since sin entered this world, we have doubted that the Lord really has our best interests at heart, that really, that if we just entrust ourselves to his care, that that everything will be okay. And because we doubt that he is going to care for us, we we take it upon ourselves. And we run, run here, there, and everywhere to try and cover all the bases to make sure that our futures are okay. We should trust the Lord, but we don't. And the process tears us apart. We go to pieces, as Philippians says, as we are pulled in so many different directions. Anxiety, then, falling apart as we're pulled in different directions because we don't trust the Lord for our futures. Now, our passage is very interesting because what it does is it doesn't just come to us and say, don't worry, right? Because saying that is, it just doesn't work. You ever been really stressed about something and someone says, oh, don't worry. It's like telling paint not to dry. It's not a thing that can be done. You can't just remove a certain set of behavior. Rather, what our passage encourages us to do is replace our anxieties with something else. Replace these fears with something else, and that something else is peace. So let's look together. What is peace? We see it listed there in verse 7. We read, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is great. We saw that that anxious is the the Greek word that means to to fall apart, to come into pieces. Well, the, the, the Greek word here for peace is a word that literally means to be joined back together. We're anxious as we fall apart. And we're encouraged to pursue peace by being brought back together. We are tied together into a whole, the wholeness that results when all the essential parts are are joined back together. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom, which you may have heard, meaning wholeness, meaning peace. When I was in high school, I had a guitar, and I'm looking at Derek's new guitar. I'm not going to act this out, don't worry. Um, I had a guitar, and I broke it, right? I snapped the head clean off, right? Right across the neck, just... um, how I did it will be another illustration, okay? Um, and I tried to fix it, got some wood glue and fixed it, and it made the most hilarious noise after I had fixed it, go kind of pong it's like this horrible, discordant, nasty sound. So I took it to professional, gave it to them. Um, they did various things to it. Uh, fixed it and gave it back to me. Now the fascinating thing was that when they gave it back to me, it actually played better than it did before. Why? Because not only did they fix it, but they gave it an overhaul. They uh, you know, fiddled with the action and made it all smooth. And, and it, was, it was a better experience uh, to play that guitar after it had been fixed. And, and in the same way, this is what the Lord is saying to us. He's saying, You've pursued a thousand things and been pulled in a thousand directions and you've fallen into many different parts. But I am now at work, like a skilled craftsman, to bring these parts together so that the song of your life will actually be better than it was before. So that these pieces will be brought into a cohesive whole. uh, That you will be uh, at peace. That you will have uh, no anxiety. Instead, at peace. Now this is really important, that the Lord wants us to have this peace in our experience here today. I think for a long time I hadn't understood or you know, hadn't, hadn't realized that the Bible talks about two different kinds of peace. On the one hand it talks about peace with God, but on the other hand it talks about the peace of God. So the peace with God is the great idea we get in like Romans 5, one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Thank <laughs> you. This is a legal or an eternal peace whereby we can be assured of our salvation. We can know that though we were enemies with God because of our sin, he has reached out and pulled us back into relationship with him so that there is no longer enmity between us and him. He offers us this great peace treaty and he signs it in the blood of the cross and shows us where to sign by faith so that if we will come and ask forgiveness in his name, we receive this. This eternal legal peace, but there's a second kind of peace, and this it's this second kind that Paul speaks of here, not peace with God because we're enemies, but peace of God. May the peace of God we read which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and this isn't an eternal thing, this is a temporal thing this is a thing that we are to experience now, a thing we are to experience. Here today, it's that inner calm, that quietness of soul and conscience and mind, that togetherness and that rest that you can experience now. Finds its foundation, of course, in our eternal peace and the fact that the Lord has reached out to draw us near. But because He has done that, we know that He is tying the pieces of our fractured lives back together and we can exhale now. What is anxiety? fallen apart. What is peace? Being brought back together. Why should we have peace? Let's look lastly at this question by looking again. First at verse 6. Verse 6 is one of the most quoted, most memorized, most popular verses in the Bible. Do not be anxious about anything, which is great. However, the great problem is uh, why we shouldn't be anxious. Why we should have peace is actually told to us in verse five, not in verse six. So we need to back up a bit and we read, "Let your reasonables be known to everyone." The Lord is at hand. Now look at the very grammar of the text. The Lord is at hand; semicolon. Do not be anxious about anything. It's saying because the Lord is near. Because the Lord is present, because the Lord is uh, reaching out to you and is around and under and above and and surrounding you, because of his presence with you, do not be anxious. The reason we can have peace is because we've not been left to struggle on our own, but have been drawn near to by a God who loves us. Last summer we were at, at a lake house and... We're there with some friends, and we were bouncing around on this trampoline that's on the lake. We're having great fun. There's me on there, and there's children everywhere, and we're just having a great time. And there's this part of the trampoline. You will probably have seen these things. It's like a pocket of air that you, one person can sit on, and then when another person jumps in it, it kind of shoots the person, the other person, flying into the air and then into the lake. It's this really fun thing. Uh, really fun. Until one of the kids, who's probably about 30 pounds, got launched by a pastor who's around about 200 pounds. And she flew 30 feet, she must have, right? And I remember as I fell into the water looking at her, like, you know, thinking, this isn't going to end well. And sure enough, thud, landed on the water, got the fright of her life, uh, and started to cry. Started to cry in this, you know... A dark, the dark water of the lake and she's, she's all upset I swim over to her and I grab her and it was really interesting because I said look me in the eye and she did and I said you're okay and she just stopped crying <laughs> she just stopped crying instantly now I was relieved <laughs> a lawsuit you know <laughs> yeah. um, I was relieved but isn't that amazing Look me in the eye. You're okay. And she was. Why? Because as a child, she doesn't need to fear being in the dark waters when someone else has got her. And the Lord is saying, I'm near. And I understand you might be physically predisposed to struggling with anxiety. And I understand that you might be in some terrible circumstances just now. But you need to understand that I am near. That in the midst of this dark water, my arms are around you. Look me in the eye. You're okay. You're okay. We can rest because we can trust our unknown future to the arms of a known God. Trust our unknown future in the arms of a known God. Let me close with this story. Uh, my grandmother was a child during World War II. And she lived in London and as many of you will know, that city was uh, just decimated by, by German bombers. In one eight-month period, the, the famous Blitz, some one million German, uh, English homes were destroyed, some, and uh, upward of 20,000 civilian lives uh, were lost. And she told me, once I really remember this conversation, she told me that, that, that once the war was over, it took her a long time not to get anxious and fearful when she heard a plane go overhead. That the peace treaties had been signed, that the conflict was done, and yet she was still fearful. And so many of us live our Christian lives like this. The treaties being signed, we're safe in the arms of an all-sufficient, always faithful, ever-present God, and yet we're fearful when the planes circle above us. And this passage calls us to realize whatever our struggle and anxiety, whatever level it is at, that the Lord is near. And because he is near, we can rest in his arms. Next week, we're going to dive into half a dozen or so principles to help us foster this peace in our lives. I'm not overpromising you this is not seven steps to like peace forever or anything stupid like that. This is half a dozen principles from this text that we're given to help work this reality of peace out into every area of our experience. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that we are an anxious people. We are torn in many different directions. We are fearful about what the future may hold. And even now that we have received peace with you, eternal legal peace, we still shudder when the planes circle above us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be at work in our souls in this very moment to make your presence tangible, that we might look you in the eye and know that all is well. Father, this struggle is in many ways a lifelong struggle. It's certainly not a struggle that's going to be fixed or quote-unquote healed in any one sermon. And so we ask that you would make us a place that is faithful to walk alongside each other when we're struggling with anxiety, to love one another and love one another well, that we might together learn to live into the peace that you offer us in the gospel. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who is our peace. Amen.